0: The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: Hi, and welcome to The Compass, the podcast documenting the struggles of life as an artist. I'm Leah Walsh. Hi, everyone. My guest today is Senna Rich. Senna works in casting for reality TV out in Los Angeles. She's worked on a lot of competition-based shows. She originally trained as an actor with me at Juilliard, and after realizing that pursuing that wasn't fulfilling her anymore, she pivoted, and after working in production, eventually found her way into casting, where she has been established now and is loving it. I admire the pivot so much, especially right now, and I have been wanting to hear Senna's story for some time. So many of us eventually find a different path than we thought we would within artistic industries or different ways to use our skills and training for many different reasons. And I celebrate and admire those choices. I hope you enjoy the 161st episode of The Compass.
2: Okay, so I tried to prepare for this and then, of course, I was like, I don't know, how, how do I even prepare to answer a question like that? What do I do? Um, I think for me over the years, it's been um, making sure I go to therapy. <laughs> therapy important. is like a very, very big part of my life. I've fully embraced it. And I think everyone should. Um,
1: Have you and been doing then- the teletherapy these days?
2: yeah exactly exactly um but for me it's to check in with myself um because i am kind of one of those persons that runs on anxiety runs on schedules and i can get easily i can go into autopilot basically um mm-hmm. and forget to take a step back and breathe and say uh, are you doing okay <laughs> um are you pushing down anything, suppressing anything, just kind of shoving things under the rug um, just to get, you know, through the days or whatever. Um, So the biggest thing for me to avoid the dark side of things is to, yeah, check in with myself, see how I'm doing, taking that time, um, taking the time to also get together with those friends that are close to me um, and allowing those moments to also be, Like, you know what, guys? I've had a shit week. (laughs) I need to just (laughs) like vent. Um, Well, that was my
1: other part of that question is like when I say the dark side, what does that look like for you most often these days?
2: It looks like um, anxiety. It looks like um, uncertainty. It looks like chaos. Um, but it can also, which I think is more dangerous, it can look like everything is fine. Mm. Yeah. It can look like things are running smoothly, everything is under control. But inside, I am questioning myself, questioning my actions, you know, um, asking myself, did I do that correctly? Did I do enough? Yeah. Um, did I do it right?
1: <laughs> I so relate to this. And I realized a couple years ago, when I was working a job, like I have, can have so much anxiety going on inside and I've realized how much it doesn't show, mm-hmm. like how mm-hmm. people think that everything is normal and I'm just whipping myself into a frenzy on the inside. And I think it's so apparent to everybody.
2: Right, right. Yeah. I mean, I I think, you know, from college days, I was notorious for being pretty obvious across my face if something was irritating me. Um, And it's interesting because, you know, um, some of the casting stuff that I do, I will have to be at a hotel where I'm running like an open casting call. And I will tell you right now, like it, those things are chaos. I'm running like seven to eight different production assistants. There's a million things going on. You're handling um, like 500 people that are trying out for a show and you're in charge of all of it. So, so much pressure. And I, I feel like I'm just manic, absolutely manic. And I'm like, oh, probably, people probably see me and they're like, oh my God, she's so mad or she's probably stressed out. Um, but then I always hear back like, oh, things were going wrong. What? You seem so cool. Like you just seem very chill. And I was like, are you kidding? <laughs> I need a glass of wine, maybe a shot of tequila. <laughs> so, um, yeah.
1: Well, I know that you've been lucky enough to be working right now during the pandemic, mm-hmm. but how are you doing in general right now in this weird, crazy, insane situation that we're all in?
2: Yeah. Um, I, I've definitely been lucky. Um But I will say I'm one of those persons that, strangely enough, likes to have an office to go to. Um, Working from home, yeah, working from home has been very jarring for me. Um, I don't know if it's because I'm still learning to kind of draw that line of work and then, okay, you're at home, time to like check out from the emails and, you know, because the convenience of everything here at home with like an office, a home desk, Um, you know, having everything accessible. It's like, oh, well, I'll just do it now because it's like right here (laughs) versus when I have an office. I'm like, oh, I can't do it now because the paperwork is at the office, you know. (laughs) Um, So I don't have any excuse. So for me, um, it's been it's been difficult. I, you know, I'm a social person as well. So it's been very hard to not see loved ones, to see friends. Um, Yeah, I think. Um, it's funny that we're doing this podcast today because yesterday I think I, I hit my wall <laughs> with the quarantine. Really? Yeah, you know I'm on this new show and 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 um, things just weren't going right that day. There's like technical issues all around, um, and then I forgot to do something during an interview that's like important, and. I just had a moment where I was pacing my living room and just completely frenzied, like, I can't do this. I need to get out. I just, I need to see people. Like, my boyfriend's out of town for his show, too. So it's just like, he's not here. Um, you know, I I've felt, I feel like, you know, I'm not, I'm really trying not to go out as often um, with everything happening. So it's really like, I haven't left this place <laughs> all week. Oh it's maddening. Um, yeah, it is. And I literally yesterday was the day when I was like, I'm I'm losing it. I am losing it. Um, so I had to step out on my patio and just take some deep breaths, get some sun, you know, um, check in with myself, like what I was saying. I was like, Okay, yeah, you're not doing well. Um, let's take a minute. You're definitely overreacting in this moment. It's <laughs> <laughs> about
1: is- the thing that's happening, <laughs> it's about something else. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like the workshop is fine, um, and everyone else is going through it with you. And there's something, there is something consoling about that—that that everyone else is going through it with you. Um, that is unique. So, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> when you're in your normal schedule, is this a job where you can unplug at night, or do you feel like you have to be like checking your phone all the time? And
2: um, when it's um, Los Angeles based and it's an office uh based show. I can do casting out of the office. Then yes, I can unplug at night. When I'm on the road, it's much harder. Um there's a lot of prep work that goes into the following day. Um scheduling out interviews, people are constantly texting you to reschedule or have questions. So, um it's a it's a little bit of half and half depending to uh, depending on the show. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um well, let's go back a little bit. <laughs> so for cool, all the listeners, Senna, <laughs> as she mentioned, works in casting. She's working in... How would you describe the shows you work on?
2: I work in reality TV. Yeah,
1: um, But we went to school at Juilliard together for acting <laughs> way back in the day. And Sena was there as an undergrad and I was there as a grad student. So we we're in slightly different places in our lives, just a few years. How did you decide after school to go to LA and kind of what is your... Path been in pivoting from performance to casting.
2: Um, okay, so over ten years ago now, geez, um, time does fly. Um, so you know we talked a little bit about this um, just when we were catching up, <clears throat> but once I uh, graduated, I think I felt like um, about half of my passion kind of had diminished throughout the process. And, um, you know, I think immediately, of course, you know, the parents, um, other classmates are like, oh my gosh, no, that's so sad. Like what? Um, but it ended up leading.
1: Because of the like time investment that you had made. Oh my gosh. Yeah.
2: Just, I mean, it's such an intense program and I don't think anybody really talks about just how intense it is. And it also intense in, in just the curriculum, but also intense in terms of just yourself as a human, kind of going through this and processing everything that you're being taught, um, revelations that you're having, and also growing up, you know? Um, it's college, and we're just kind of thrown in, and, and um, so it's all of that combined. Um, is very intense, it's stressful, it's um, confusing. Um, so I think for me, by the time I graduated, Yes, I still I still loved acting I love the process I still do love the process to this day um, but once I graduated I, I I knew that there was like a 50 50 percent chance that I probably wasn't going to pursue this in the long run um, and for me it was uh, it, it was about happiness um, I was I knew I wasn't happy doing it um, but once I graduated I you know signed with a manager out in Los Angeles and I mean, I think the other uh, J-Yard fam can say that that process of choosing a manager and agent is stressful oh in itself. God. Like I they're all...
1: graduated during a recession. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Not the most opportune time to be moving into the world.
2: Yeah, exactly. Um, so when I signed with my management company um, at the time, um, one of the biggest things that I said and, you know, communicated to them as an artist Um, as an Asian female actress going into this world. um, I said, you know, I'm not from a stereotypical background. I don't have Asian parents. I didn't grow up in an Asian culture. Um, I speak more Spanish and French than (laughs) Korean. Um, But I made it clear that, you know, I didn't want to go out for these stereotypical roles. Um, For me, it was important for myself that, you know, we don't keep, fueling that, you know, um, those types of roles as very like prejudice, stereotypical roles for the Asian person. I didn't want to play a manicurist. I didn't want to you know or be a massage therapist. Um, I just wanted to represent myself as a human, <laughs> I guess. Um, and they agreed to it. They were like, yes, of course. We will, put, we will fight for you for, you know, just like really good gritty parts and, mm-hmm. you know, and both comedy and drama and all this stuff. And basically, long story short, on that end, it was just one cliche role after another, after another. And I kept telling them, you know, this is not what I want my career to be. Um, and, you know, people always say, well, you have to start somewhere. I'm like, yeah, right. but I don't need to start by playing like an incredibly like prejudice <laughs> depiction of my, my race, you know? Right. Um, so there needs to be um, a line,
1: a line. Somewhere. Right.
2: Exactly. Um, so during that time, um, of auditioning, um, I was doing, you know, actor jobs, I was waitressing, I was, uh, working as a receptionist trying to, you know, figure that stuff out. Um, and Los Angeles is a, expensive city so I uh started doing production assistant work so working on set um and I was loving that work it was great money was paying my bills I was on set and just you know with like film crew and just seeing the behind the scenes all the stuff that you don't um get exposed to being in front of the camera really um so it was just like really cool um But at that time, I was also realizing that I was incredibly depressed. I was, I I didn't like going out for auditions. Um, The process was just, it was very taxing on me uh, mentally. Um, You know, this is before, you know, um, Fresh Off the Boat came out. Constance Mm -hmm. Wu is, you know, everywhere. You've got Crazy Rich Asians now, which is amazing. You have Parasite now. But this is before that. And so I was still getting, like, the weird feedback of, like, wow, you look so, like, young in the face, but your body is, like, too, like, I don't know, voluptuous. We're kind of confused because, like, you can't really play a 16-year-old with that type of body, but your face is, like, too young to be a woman. (laughs) And just, like, (laughs) really weird None of this
1: is helpful to me.
2: Yeah. Like, I don't understand. Like, what is this, (laughs) you know? Um, and uh, but then also, you know, you're not Asian enough or you're too Asian. Um, yeah. and why can't you speak your own language? I definitely got that a few times in oh auditions. I was like, well I don't I don't, I just don't because I grew up in America and I <laughs> learned English, I don't know. Um, so yeah, it was it was grueling and I just realized how unhappy I was, and I think throughout that process,, um, I was like, well, you know what? I'm going to part ways management because they were just not um, respecting what I wanted um, in terms of my career. Um, and uh, so we parted ways and that was terrifying because, you know, you either you either stick with your management or agency until they let you go. <laughs> <laughs> um So that was a big jump, and that was terrifying. And I remember I didn't tell my parents for like two months. (laughs) And they're like, "So have you been auditioning?" I'm like, "Actually, uh, I'm just like not doing that anymore." (laughs) Was it Uh, yeah? Was it
1: more of a a conscious decision? Were you already aware that you just wanted to stop auditioning completely, or were you like, "I'm going to leave this bad situation, and then I'll see where I go from here. Maybe I'll get a different agent."
2: Um, when I left, I pretty much made the concrete decision that this was just acting was just not right for me in that moment. I think there was still a part of me that was like, you know what, maybe, maybe in a year, like maybe I just take my take like, or a couple months, you know, but I never, I never even dove into like, am I going to find another manager? I'd never tried to find another agent or anything like that. It didn't even cross my mind because I think, that's how ready I was to kind of leave it all. Um, And to leave it all was probably the scariest moment than graduating, like trying to graduate from high school. You know, (laughs) it's just like, I think for me, you know, I went to an arts high school as well. So I had been studying acting for like 10 years or yeah, eight, eight to 10 years. um, And My parents were invested in it. You know, you've got student loans. There's that commitment. Um, And then you always hope that, you know, whatever you're pursuing in school is ultimately what you're going to end up doing for the rest of your life. So for me, it was absolutely terrifying. I was like, I am going to look like the biggest failure to everyone, my family, to my friends, to my classmates. Like, I'm just throwing this all away. Um, and I definitely had a moment with, you know, of of panic of like, what am I doing? Should I not do this? I just knew that I was not happy at all in, in pursuing acting. It was, um, you know, and you try to stay creative. Um, I'm not a writer, but I knew I had friends that were writers and, you know, you try to collaborate and stay creative. Um, I just was drained. I was completely drained and I didn't want anything to do with it um so eventually you know like I said I started taking these production assistant jobs but then I said well why don't I kind of ease into something different but have it kind of be a 50-50 zone so it's not like a shock to my system (laughs) (laughs) so I started doing casting assistant work in scripted television which is basically um was probably the <laughs> I I say like I didn't want a shock to my system, and then I ended up getting a shock to my system. <laughs> seeing how just like casting companies work, and you want to you know really get an insight of how casting um, how the casting process in scripted television works, Well, get a casting assistant job, and it will be a very uncomfortable um, experience. Um, just the number of headshots. One of my tasks was literally going through headshots. And there would be days where we'd have stacks of them that hadn't even been opened. And, you know, you spend all those money, like all that money on like those little postcards and like, mm-hmm. you know, all those like
1: Elfage cute envelope. little,
2: Oh yeah. All that stuff, you know? And like, I think what minimum or headshots can range from 200 to $800. And I remember saving up for them and cause you want the best photographer. Um, so all your money goes towards these. And I remember there were days where they would just say this stack right here of like, Hundred headshots that hadn't even been open. Oh, we're good. We don't need those. You can just chuck them. And I'm just like, wait, (laughs) are you sure? (laughs) You sure they're they're right? (laughs) I mean, if not for the sake of the actors, maybe for the sake of the trees. I don't know. (laughs) But are you sure? And and yeah, just like hundreds of headshots, piles of headshots that I would just throw in the trash. that was terrifying.
1: Were you um, and able, like, coming out of being an actor, were you already so divorced from it that you could just immediately put yourself in the casting person's chair? Or was it still, like, just weird? Were you picturing yourself being on the other side of the table or, like, a little too close to home, you know? I will say that um,
2: in the beginning, yes, I had an extreme emotional attachment to the actors coming in for auditions or people that uh, actors that would audition for me later on when I was doing... Um, some stuff um, for different production companies. Um, I always had an emotional attachment where um, if people around me, the higher ups were like, well, what about this and this and this? I would always sympathize with the actor. Well, like, you don't know, like, you don't know, like what, you know, how many buses they've taken to just get to this audition or like, you don't know if like, you know, they just, they just need that big break. (laughs) Um, Let's just risk it, you know, take a chance on them, that kind of stuff. But it was very emotional in the beginning, um, I think over the years I've managed to step away from that emotional aspect of, of, um, always rooting for the actor, I guess. But I will say that there has always been some sort of consideration for the person in front of the camera. So like, I, I will say like, as a casting producer now, I do pride in myself where I can always emotionally connect with somebody immediately, I can um, make them feel comfortable, um, make them feel like they can trust me to open up to me because that is part of the process is, Mm -hmm. you know, sometimes in these 30 minute interviews, we're asking very personal stuff. So they need to know that they can trust me. Um, So I don't think that's ever, that's ever been lost. Um, But there I do, you know, sometimes when I do scripted things where we need, like, hosts and stuff, I will definitely roll my eyes sometimes <laughs> at some of the <laughs> actors in, <laughs> that come through. Um, so, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you, yeah. Use,
1: you use your empathy powers for good. <laughs> yes,
2: yeah, yeah, but, uh, yeah. Um,
1: so, so you didn't end up in Scripted then?
2: No, so ultimately um, with Scripted, you know, I wanted to move up. I wanted to have a job where, you know, I, I had a goal uh, mm-hmm. in mind um, or sorry, a goal to reach. So I went back to doing, working on the field again, um, for some crazy reality shows, basically little segue. I started dating a guy that worked in production (laughs) and he was like, do you want to just like work as a production assistant real quick for me? And then I ended up falling in love with it. Anyways. So that's how (laughs) I like got my foot in. Um, so, um, Yeah. I was working on the field, um, for some crazy reality shows. Um, they were what we call docu realities and those tend to be the shows where you just fall around the day in the lives of people and their crazy antics. Um, I was still in my twenties. So that kind of crazy lifestyle working like, you know, 18 hours a day running on Red Bull and running (laughs) around and with cast members and, and just doing all that madness was exciting. Um, And then after a couple of years, I was like, yeah, this, this is draining in itself. (laughs) Um, And I also just didn't, I, there was just certain things about reality television that, you know, I'm sure everyone talks about. There's a lot, a level of producing that happens. And, and I knew that um, there was, there was a limit for me. um, And I didn't want to pursue that anymore in terms of being uh, responsible for um, people's actions, you know, mm-hmm. um, on live uh, reality shows. So um, I uh, worked with a producer who was like, hey, I feel like with your, um, you know, actor background, you'd be really good with talent. Do you want to just start working like in casting again? I know you've dabbled in it, but this is like reality show casting. So you'd be working with just like everyday people and and finding cast members for everyday people. I said, yeah, sure. And so basically I dove in, um, but there are different types of reality shows. And I uh, was very conscious that I wanted to make my route towards more competition shows, shows that where you're not heavily producing people, um, it's not basically crap, you know.
1: (laughs) Right. And you're not feeling like anyone's being exploited in any way. Right. Right. Like,
2: yeah, they're like shows. I will say like the shows that I work on are shows that in some ways do change people's lives, careers. Um, You know, Top Chef being one of them. It's incredible to see the number of chefs that go on after the show and their lives are completely changed and they go off to do, you know, amazing things. Um, So, yeah. Yeah so that's where i'm at and i've been doing that now for quite some time Yeah.
0: <laughs> okay round two name something that's not boring a laundry oh a book club computer solitaire huh oh sorry we were looking for chumba casino that's right, chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchases, forward by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: That's so wonderful. I love that you yeah. are enjoying it so much. Um, so, you were talking about how yesterday you were doing all these interviews, and that's such a huge part of your job. Um, how do you focus on storytelling? in this job of casting reality? Cause you're, you're I mean, you really are, you're like f- trying to find people who have interesting backgrounds and interesting stories, um, but without the help of writers. So you have to kind of, I would assume like magnify in on like, these are the things that I hope get told through the show. Right.
2: Yeah. Um, so yeah, when you cast shows with real people, um, there are, you know, uh, there's definitely like a handful of the kind of same kind of stories that you get over and over and over. Um, so you want to try to find those that are unique, different, or also need to be represented, you know, um, um, with what's going on in current affairs, you know, um, one of the things that I do love about casting reality, uh, is that it is actually incredibly diverse. Um, They always push diversity. That's like one of the key things. Um, You know, we're always trying to make sure that what you see on television is what you would see when you walk outside in New York or Los Angeles, you know, um, or anywhere, you know. Um, So I do love that. Um, In terms of the process, um, I can't go like too, too much into like exact things. Yeah. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I think, you know, what I mentioned before is um, I have about, Five minutes in the beginning of an interview to basically make that person feel like they can trust me,
0: Mm -hmm.
2: um, that I am genuine. Um, And these aren't, like, lies. Like, I'm not, like, doing it just because I genuinely have an interest in hearing this person's story. Um, So it's just – it's letting them take their time. One of the things I always emphasize is, like, this is your time. This isn't live television. It's literally just you and me talking This is your time. And there's always little things, um, you can tell if someone's not going to be too open about a certain situation in their lives. And then you just say, okay, moving forward, you know? Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know if there's like a certain thing that I do. Um, I think, I think I just, I, sometimes I will just point blank, like ask them, you know, like, is it okay if you talk to me a little bit about what happened between you and your mother, you know, and it's either yes or no. Um, And sometimes it's also things where you can see that maybe down the line, they're more comfortable with it. You know, I think maybe just maybe that day, they just weren't comfortable about talking about it. Um, But You can see if it's something that they've dealt with and they're comfortable with. It's just in that moment they didn't want to talk about it. So you know that down the line that story, excuse me, could potentially be told. Um, But it's always a matter of a safe space. They should, you know, um, I think that's the biggest thing to establish. Um, So yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's so hard to answer that question because, like, no, that's fine. Yeah, there's like They're certain things. Interesting
1: things. Um, yeah. That's great to hear you say that, that there's so much diversity in the part of the field that you're in. Because I was going to ask, like, with um, with all the social justice movements going on right now and like the, the We See You, White American Theater statement and all of that, do you have hope for where the industry will be when we come through this? Time, or are you feeling pessimistic that things will just stay the same? (laughs) Because I have days where I feel both.
2: (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Maybe we can edit this out. I don't know. (laughs) I will say, like, one of the first things that happened when all this stuff was going down was man, I just feel like I'm just sitting here eating the popcorn, just watching like executives and networks just scrambling. Being like, oh my gosh, we got caught. We haven't been inclusive. <laughs> Meanwhile, as a minority, as a person of color, I'm just sitting here and being like, yeah, guys, like this has been an issue our entire lives. And just Depending now. like you didn't know. Right, exactly. Um, so I'm definitely eating my popcorn. Um, <laughs> but <clears throat> I, do, I do have hope. Um, I do have hope on most days and think, wow, this might actually do something, you know? And then there are days where, yeah, I I am like, I just feel like this might be a trend and we're just going to be back to normal and square one and still have a lot of, um, a lack of diversity, I should say, uh, in the entertainment, uh, industry. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think, people are scrambling right now um i just don't know how long that's going to last because here's the thing too what people don't underst- or what people should understand is that because racism has lasted for so long has been around for so long we can't make changes like overnight you right. know um right. i was just talking about this with someone the other day um uh, where sometimes uh, production companies are scrambling and they're trying to diversify the people that are underneath the executives. And, and we're all kind of here like, no, that's not the problem area. Like, I mean, we can always do better, but like, there's, there's a good amount of diversity there. It's the higher ups, it's the executives, it's the vice presidents, it's the presidents, it's the CEOs and the the problem is right. And the problem is, is over the years because of racism, um, um, people of color couldn't get those positions for years. So you just kind of stop pursuing that, you know, because it becomes, you know, the dream that you're never going to get because it's so challenging. It's so hard. Um, it's inaccessible for us. Um, so you just stop pursuing it. So now all of a sudden companies are like, Oh my gosh, we need to diversify. Like who's, who's available, who's available, who's available, you know, Um, And they're not able to make that change quickly Um, or as quickly as I think that they had hoped. Um, And I think what they need to do is realize that it's going to be a long process and it it will take time. But to keep pursuing it, um, some people from higher ups, which that means some people from higher ups might have to step down then. Because the diversity, if the diversity starts up there, it can trickle down, you know? Um, So I don't know. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yes.
1: At some point, someone has to be willing to give up power, and we'll see if that happens.
2: Exactly. Exactly. Um, So, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm hopeful. (laughs) Uncertain days. Um,
1: Are there any lessons you've learned in the last couple of years that you're really proud of that you want to share with me? They could be personal or professional.
2: The biggest lessons I've learned, I think, throughout the years is um, to deal with the uncomfortable um, because the uncomfortable is what's going to make you go crazy, uh, make you feel like things are... Chaotic, you know. Um, you feel like you don't have control over things. Um, I think also the one of the biggest lessons I've learned is to be okay with whatever route you take. Um, I think when you have the stigma of Juilliard on your resume, you know you can't. I I will always be asked. And I'm asked on the daily (laughs) when I meet somebody new and they find out I went to Juilliard, it's immediately like, why aren't you acting? Where's your Oscar? You know, and what people don't understand is that um, you can lose your passion and it's okay, you know, Um, because what you were passionate about in your teens and in your early 20s may not necessarily make you happy in the long run. And I think that was the biggest lesson that I learned and learned to to be okay with that was a process, you know? And it's, um, people are always so like, oh my gosh, she goes to therapy. Oh, let's not talk about that. Like she might be crazy, you know? And I, and I, people are still like that. Um, I, yeah. Yeah. Oh my and God. it's just like, I'm completely against that because I think, um, mental health has to be talked about. Um, it's part of the uncomfortable, you know, um, that I mentioned. Um, so I think, it's important to take care of yourself. I think it's important to be selfish in those moments. If it's a matter of happiness, you know um, everyone was telling me, no, you're throwing it all away. You know, you, you're just wasting all those years. And my thing is, is like, I don't think any of those years were wasted. I will never take, you know, regret what um, the relationships that I, I developed during um those four years, um, the experience, you know, I will always remember the texture of an orange. I will always remember, <laughs> you know, I can sing happy birthday now in front of people and look at them in the eye, you know? Um, but I also, I still, I still every day will watch a movie and just like really love like the, the real like actor's experience of watching a movie, you know? I will relish in those moments. and be like, oh my gosh, like so-and-so just just portray that character so well and just, you know, all the little things. And my boyfriend who's not in this is like, what? Oh my God, you're such an actor, you know? <laughs> so that <laughs> like, will that was always okay. be... Right, right. He's like what, like, what are you talking about? I didn't see that at all. I'm like, what are you talking about? It was so there. Oh
1: so um, it will always be I mean, just think part about how me. long our lives are, hopefully, if you're lucky, yeah. um, and how much we're each mm-hmm. going to change.
2: Yeah. In different
1: mm-hmm. ways. Yours is just very, was that your kitty cat?
2: Yes. Can I just Um, (laughs) real quick, give her like a spoonful of food to shut her up real quick?
1: What was I saying? Uh, just, yeah. How much we're all going to change across the course of our lives. And if something isn't working for you, not letting that go will just cause you so much pain in the long run.
2: Yeah, exactly. Um, and it's crazy. It's crazy. Um, to think that you would know exactly what you want to do for the rest of your life at 23 years old, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know? Um, So, and you know, there's still parts of me where I'm like, I don't know, maybe one day I'll wake up when I'm 50 years old and I'm like, yeah, now's the time. Now is the time. And if
1: you do amazing. (laughs) Why not? Yeah. Yeah,
2: exactly. Never say never. But right now I'm, I, uh, I love what I do.
1: That's wonderful. I'm so happy for you. Um, Do you have any mentors who have been important in your career or just in your life, kind of helped you get through things?
2: Um, In terms of mentors, um, no one, like, in nobody, like, really insane or, like, you know, a certain level of establishment, I guess. I don't know. I guess in terms of mentors, I'd say my therapist has been great. Um, Have you been with the same person for a long time? No. I actually switched to a different person a couple years ago. Um, Someone that was like a little bit closer because, you know, LA, driving everywhere. Um, Mm -hmm. She's been incredibly great. Um, She, When I was looking for a new therapist, I was like, you know, I need someone to like call me out on my shit. Like, I don't want the whole who-saw type, like, you need to go light a candle and do some breathing and check in <laughs> with yourself, blah, blah, blah. No, I just want somebody to, like, flat out tell me, like, you need to work on this and you need to do this, you know. Um, so she's great in that sense. Um, but mentors, in um, aside from friends, um, no, not really. Like, I don't have anyone, like anyone notable or anything like that.
1: Yeah. Um, you don't have to talk about this if you don't want to, but is it challenging for you and your boyfriend to both be working in such an intense part of the industry, like time wise and scheduling wise?
2: Um, we have balanced our careers out so well, I guess, um, where it actually hasn't been challenging. Um, We both travel a lot. He travels much more than I do. Um, He's probably out of town, um, you know, pre-COVID, at least three, four times a year. Um, And it can be months at a time. I think that we've both been fortunate enough. Both of us, as individuals, like our alone time. (laughs) (laughs) So we have a lot of like other... Yeah. So we have a lot of like, you know, some of our married friends that are like, how do you do this? Like, he's been gone for two months. And I'm just like, I mean, I'm fine. I'm doing great. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, but obviously, like we have also um, made it important to check in with each other because of that, because it is very easy to uh, disconnect from each other when you are quite physically apart. Um, so when you're in that
1: kind of like working all the time, summer camp feeling of being immersed in a, a show, I would assume.
2: Oh yeah, totally. Um, I would say the hardest part is like, we have never taken a vacation. That wasn't (laughs) someone else's wedding. (laughs) We're always like, who's getting married? Someone getting married because (laughs) we need a trip. Um, it's very hard in that sense because of our schedules. Um, but you know, it's, it's fine. Like we're, yeah, we've, we've balanced
1: it out and um, yeah. When you do feel like you're going to that dark place or just feeling down or uninspired, are there any concrete things that you go back to again and again? I know we talked about therapy, but like books that you reread or music you listen to or a place that you go, something like that.
2: Sometimes um, you know, I'm not a nature person, um, but sometimes being in a city, you know, um I get affected very easily by my surroundings. Um, so when I hit that point, um I do I, I will take note of it and I will try to get away. Um, you know, part of the reason why I moved to Los Angeles is there's these amazing pockets of escape that you can find and you go to these pockets. Um, and you feel like you are not in Los Angeles. You feel like you've completely transported into a different world. Um, actually most recently I went to the Huntington library, um, botanical gardens and they've got like six different gardens and you just walk around and you're just like, I'm not even in Los Angeles. Like, where am I? Um, and yeah, I think, other than that, not really. I wish I had like more of like, oh, I do this and I have a whole ritual <laughs> and everything. Okay. Um, I think one of the things for me is part of dealing with that anxiety, dealing with the dark side, part of dealing with it for me is acknowledging it. For me to be able to acknowledge it is yeah. huge um, and it's been a big step in my life Um So I think for me, just the, the sheer acknowledgement of it, I'm able to be like, okay, we've hit that point today. (laughs) We've hit that point this week. Good to know. Got it. Okay. And then moving on, you know? Um, so I don't, I don't dwell on it. I don't like to dwell on it. I like to acknowledge it and either, you know, just say, okay, I got to move forward. It's okay. Like, there is another day.
1: <laughs>
2: um, and then move forward. Um, but yeah. So I, I, I wish I could say I have like, yeah, no, that's like great. a book and that I'm, I go to. I'm so <laughs> jealous
1: of your access to nature right now in this situation. I'm just like lamenting the amount of parks in our neighborhood.
2: Oh, girl, you got to come to LA. There's so many places. <laughs> you drive a couple hours and you can be like in the snow in the mountains. If one of us
1: gets a job out there, we are there. Yes. Um, two seconds. <laughs> Um, and then the last question is, is there anything you want to recommend of any art form that you've seen or read or listened to lately?
2: Hmm. Art form, like, like a TV show. Can I recommend a TV show? Mm Oh, okay. Um, I will say that the most recent, um, art I've seen actually, um, is the HBO series I Will Destroy You. Mm -hmm. Um, it is incredible. I was a little bit late in starting it. Um, but holy cow, it is written so well, um, acted so well. Um, it is perfection. Like it's my new favorite. I think for 2020, I think it's just, I mean, you're talking about such a, um, raw topic to talk about as women to deal with. Um, and I, I just sit there thinking, like, how do you write about something like this, you know? Mm-hmm. But also throw in like the dark comedy sense of it, you know? How do you balance that? And um, they've just they've just done a great job of that.
1: I've watched the pilot and I didn't get past it, but I I've heard had so many people tell me it's amazing, so I need to try again.
2: Yeah, you gotta you gotta continue. I think th- they release an episode every week. There's six episodes in. Um, Okay. And uh, yeah, they're fantastic.
1: Okay, great. Well, Senna, thank you so, so much. This was a long time coming and I'm so glad that you were up for doing this with me. Thank you. Well, thank you for
2: having me. I like that this has been our little reunion.
1: Listening to the Compass Podcast. If you find these conversations valuable to your life as an artist and would like to support the ongoing production of The Compass, please consider becoming a patron at patreon.com/slash the Compass Podcast. Pledges start at as little as $1 a month. Anything you can get will be greatly appreciated. Also, if you have a moment, please rate or review in iTunes. Every little bit helps other listeners to find the podcast. I'd like to thank the following people for their generosity. The Compass cover art is by Kim Miller, music by Brandon Spieth, audio assistance from Nick Choksi, and a special thanks to Frankie J. Alvarez. see you next time.